Welcome to episode eight of the Dime Boxing with Delco podcast. Exciting one here. We got our first pair of guests on. Really exciting stuff to recap. We just had a huge Fishtown show. Got a lot of big stuff coming up. I'll turn it over to my co-host, Delco Ritz. Yeah, super exciting uh, show uh, episode today because, you know, we've always just done uh, me and Dimes and now we have our first guests. Uh, without further ado, we have uh, Jason Richter and Caleb Mezzi, our resident baseball uh, old men slash analysts uh, here to kind of come in and, and uh, school us on, you know, I think uh, Dimes and I have both talked about kind of, you know, just trying to venture into the baseball world, whether it's vintage, uh, vintage plays, whether it's prospect plays, and uh, we wanted to bring you guys on. Uh, you have a lot of expertise, and uh, we've become uh, pretty good friends in the Philadelphia car community. Um, and yeah, we're we're happy to have you on. Yeah, happy to spar with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happy to be on. Uh, most people don't know me as Jason; they they know me as Vintage BB Cards, but. Uh, yeah, I should have gave the Instagram name. That's my bad. That's my bad. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, how was the uh, Fishtown show for you, Dimes? Uh, Fishtown show was awesome. Uh, Brett always does a great job with that. It was packed. I mean, I heard from some of my buddies who were coming to the show. They were in line uh, to get in, which is, even though maybe not so great for them, pretty good sign for any vendor there had people coming up to the table all day. Seemed like there was a lot of nice uh, variety as I was walking around too. Like it's nice to see a good, you know, wax sort of like Sports Connection does a good job of bringing all the wax you could want, you know, all the good boxes. And then you had a lot of modern and vintage vendors. Um, so that was good to see. Like it really is becoming, it went from being a small show. I remember when he first had it down, um, down in the city, not at Rivers. I get the name of the first venue but it was a really small show um, I remember going to it for one of the days it was a two-day show now it's a one-day show but it's really expanded like it's gained a lot of name recognition I've heard it mentioned on Card Talk Pod I've heard it mentioned on Luca Tiger Braun Pod like there a lot of people know about this show now which is awesome I mean it was packed there's tons of tables and like there was a lot of good stuff in the room and at least from what I saw tons of transactions seems like people are finally buying again now taxes are coming up in a couple months who knows what could happen there people have less money to spend but i think for now at least people seem like they're not and i think people are more willing to pay closer to what you're asking it seems like there's a little less haggling too so i want to ask uh vintage baseball cards jason about since i i really saw the modern part of it what did you see from like a vintage standpoint did you see a lot of action there so, yeah, I just want to echo what you just said. I mean, great show. Uh, I consider the Fishtown show sort of my hometown show, you know, being in and around the Philly area. It's such a great venue. Uh, Brett does a great job promoting it. I, I think it was even on PHL 17, which is amazing. Um, agree, steady flow of people walking through, walking up to the booth. A lot of people, you know, uh, I set up right next to Alex and Delco right as you walk in. A lot of people come by and we're sort of the first booths you see and they're like, oh, I'll come back. Actually, a lot of people did come back because I think I'm one of the few vintage 
mostly vendors there. And I had a handful of people say to me, you know, glad to see you here. There's not a lot of vintage here. Wow, great case, you know, that those sorts of things. So yeah, just love the show and just had a great show. That's good to hear. Messi, what about you? I know you're pretty focused. Are you, I mean, I saw you at a couple basketball cards out, but like you're you're a baseball guy through and through. Yeah. Like, what did, what did you see? I mean, it, I heard prospecting was pretty hot at the show. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, but I, I would say that's probably more like Katz's card, Jeff Katz, in terms of prospecting. I Here's the way I look at it. I mean, I, I totally agree with what you and Jason said about that um the evolution of the fish Town show i think the fillmore was the first location that it was there and we learned quickly that the second day wasn't as powerful as the first different location cool location but it was just different vibe and i didn't realize how extensive these lines were until we saw that drone video today and number one that drone thing was awesome it was just so cool to see like we saw it come in and like I saw me and Jason in the background, but like seeing that video and seeing like the whole, you know, arena and really like the people waiting was just so cool to see. Um, I didn't get a chance to walk, so I don't know what else was out there, but a lot of people were looking for prospects. I think they were um, to at the Ramblewood show. They were looking for prospects, but they always look for specific guys because prospecting is such a gamble in many ways. I think for me, and I can speak you know, on what I collect, but then also put out is mainly Philly stuff and local guys. So like a Mike Trout, for example, but like, if I do have basketball stuff, it would be Maxi Harden, obviously LeBron, if I have any or Embiid or something like that, because I know that it would sell. I think we all went into the show knowing that it was going to be a Hertz show and a Maxi show. And I think that to Jason's point of people coming back, it's, they wanted to do the rounds to see what they would get from there. Maybe it was slim pickings. I don't really know. I don't feel confident enough to talk about that. And then they would come back and be like, Hey, I want to see that Harper or, Hey, I want to see, you know, that stock that you have. And that's kind of like how it went for me. Um, I definitely had a, a slow morning. Um, I remember I split the fee with Jason and I was like, okay, I just gave you my money and I'm only up $6. Oh, and then it was like between one and one thirty. I sold like over $400 in cards, just like like a half hour. So that's when like the swing of coming back and like the conversations and all that kind of stuff, they want to see, they want to shop. Um, I think the good thing that me and Jason always say is one is we get a lot of our cards early. So our price points always kind of fair. We're not trying to like, Oh, we have to move this card because we bought it at such a high value. And the other thing is, is that we have stuff that nobody else has because not many people collect baseball. So that's kind of how we, I don't want to say corner a market, but but kind of position ourselves at these shows. Yeah, and I think having the local guys definitely helps you a lot. Like you're hard, like after that playoff run, like every kid now, at least I see it, like every kid wears a Bryce Harper jersey. Like I feel like him and Hurts. And something interesting is like Harper's prices online they're kind of starting at that. Like people are already forgetting that playoff run, but honestly, I think they could do the same thing this year. And imagine if he comes out the first couple months of the season and is a front runner for the NL MVP. I feel like that's when people are like, he is Philly baseball. I mean, he already is, but like if he can keep this up, I think you could see another Harper run up. Like I've been trying to throw some back. I know you're really big into the paper stuff as opposed. So I've been getting some of the Chrome, you began some of the paper. I asked you about this at the show. You had a specific reason as to why you've been gravitating towards the rare paper stuff. What is it? 
Well, so there's a couple of things. I actually thought about it after you asked me, not at the show, but like on the ride home, I was thinking about it. And it was a few things. One is, I really think that we have to go back to the origin of the hobby. And I think that, you know, there's no better, better person to talk to about it than Jason. But when we talk about vintage cards, they were all paper. They are all, they're all paper. So like Chrome is, is very 90s and Chrome is very NBA. Right. I think then it made its way into what we see with Prism and NFL and all that kind of stuff because it's the same product. I personally do not like that product. Like, I think Prism is garbage. I think it sticks together. I don't really like ripping. It's just, it's not a hot take. It's just an opinion. I'm not saying it's, it's the way it is. But there's something to me about holding a paper card that feels like vintage. Like, it's not a vintage card, but it feels like that cardboard connection, that cardboard, you know, that stock that we try to buy and share. So that's like the one part of it. And I told you with Chrome, I always think Chrome is like a little crappier. It's always chipped. It's just the margin for error. It doesn't mean I don't have Chrome. Like I definitely do. But when I think about Chrome, I think of basketball, like the Kobe's, the Vince Carter's, how they did have a top space paper and then Chrome. The other thing I was thinking about after this is when the product comes out for baseball, it's always tops paper first and then Chrome. So you've already seen for the most part, there's some variations and stuff where you don't see the, the picture, the image. You've already seen the image, right? So to see it in Chrome, it's just like you're duplicating it and just attaching Chrome to it, right? And to me, that's a little cheesy and corny. You may feel differently for different sports because, you know, the lineup of when they roll out is totally different. And I get that. The other thing is, is as the hobby has shifted to more rare cards, you're looking at low pop. I think paper is really tough to grade. You could argue that Chrome is tough to grade and I, and I would have a tough time going back and forth on that. But what I really look for, and you know, this is short prints and super short prints. So that already makes it rarer to find and then rarer to find as a 10 when you grade it for P and I really I'm snob. We always talk about this with the PSA. So when you're looking at that angle, to me, that's like the value that I'm looking for to find a more rare card. So I'll show you, I have this card that I just got actually. Um, it's from 2022. It's the super, super short print. Sometimes they write super SP. Sometimes they write SSP. It's, um, it's an ongoing joke on Instagram with the people who collect short prints. We don't know why or how they pick that. But like it to me, it's just a cool card. The other thing I'll say lastly, and then I think we could pass this off to Jason in terms of, you know, the vintage area is I think that the way I collect now, not when I first got into it, is telling a story. So it's telling a story of Harper over the years, Harper with these cool photos. He has swag. He's got like the way with his headband, his hair, his beard, just the way he swings, the way he goes about the game, the dirt, all that kind of stuff. And that shows over the years, if you're getting a base card, a short print, a super short print, whatever. If you're going colors, it's the same card as a base. It's just a different color. So to me, it doesn't really tell a story. It's just like putting it in 4K, if we want to call it that. So I think that kind of answers my question of why I prefer paper just over Chrome. A lot of good points there. I agree. Paper is definitely harder to grade from what I've seen. But Jason... What do you, I mean, I know you don't really touch the modern stuff, but like, does that paper, are you more appealed if you were looking at modern stuff to paper? Cause that's what you've always dealt with. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a fair assessment. I still, I don't rip many packs anymore. If I, if I would, I'd probably rip what's appropriate for my age heritage, but, but I've actually stadium really club. leaned towards stadium club because I think they just have really cool photos, but they're impossible to grade. 
you know, cards that have the picture going straight to the edge, it's just impossible to get a 10 out of them. And with a modern card, the drop off between nine and 10 is enormous. Whereas in vintage, as you know, I'm thrilled to death if I get anything higher than a five. So like, um, you know, so that, that part's hard. I, I had, you know, Caleb and I had a, we talked a lot before the show and we prepped the Fishtown show I'm talking about. And uh, we had basically one entire case of Phillies. And that was our game plan to go in, which was we knew a lot of the people collecting were going to come looking for Phillies. And so that was really helpful to both of us. And then I had one row in one case that was current players that were future Hall of Famers. So these are modern cards, right? And it was Verlander and it was DeGrom and it was Goldschmidt and it was, help me, Caleb. Kershaw, you had Ichiro. Kershaw, yeah, I had Ichiro who's definitely gone to the Hall of Fame. So my first case was already in the Hall of Fame, vintage guys, 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe some 80s. And then the next case was guys that are currently playing that are going to be in that first case you know, as future Hall of Famers. And a lot of people really got into that and, and were looking for that stuff. Now, having said that, I sold a Chrome Trey Turner rookie. <laughs> so like, you know, I have, I have some modern stuff. I think one, a couple of things about Chrome that I don't like is when it first came out, they really tried for like a 3D effect, like the 2001 Chromes. It's like a raised card. And sometimes they pull it off. And sometimes I think it looks like crap so you know um i guess i'm i'm definitely more of a a, of a paper guy for sure yeah do you know what he's talking about the raised one so like they actually had that in the 90s for football like patrick ryan just did something about like the emmett smith it was like looks like it's like embossed almost like it's like raised but like you can almost touch it and it's a really crappy looking card it's a really tough grade so like the miguel cabrera the pujols one right is the yeah the pujols one and then the ichiro they're just yeah. like, and they don't age well. Yeah. I've never seen those. Yeah. It's like they're going for a 3D effect or something on the card. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they just don't pull it off. So one thing um, there on the, on, on the Bowman Chrome, what about Bowman Chrome autos? You know, like, you know, you guys are talking about, you know, paper uh, and kind of preferring that, but, you know, the Bowman Chrome auto kind of really seems to be like the tried and true for the yeah. modern baseball collector like do you think that won't stand the test of time or do you think that that still will be like the ultimate card for the modern uh baseball player say like julio rodriguez like if he pans out um and and, and is like the player who we think he will be like do you think the bowman chrome auto will be you know worth more than a tops, you know, tops sp so I, I think the there's two ways to look at this. One is I actually think Bowman Chrome is a really good like mirror to the hobby as a whole because it's made for flippers, but it's also made for collectors. And it's like one of the only made products that it's like that. And what I mean by that is that if you want to get the Bowman Chrome auto of Julio Rodriguez, right? At first, you would say, I want to get his Bowman Chrome auto because it's the one that holds value over time. And that's kind of what you're saying with like the trout any Hall of Famer, Paul Goldschmidt. We actually saw a really cool 
uh, Bowman Chrome Refractor of Goldschmidt. Like that's going to hold time. But now it's so saturated that you actually don't want the Bowman Chrome Auto. You want the Bowman Chrome Auto numbered, right? So that's indicative of the hobby. The hobby became let's get colors, let's get numbers. So Julio Rodriguez, the answer to your question would be like, if you're going to get the Bowman Chrome Auto, it better be numbered and it better be colored. It just better be because that's the way you do it now because the other thing is so saturated. But yeah, I think that is like the origin card. The other way that I'm saying to look at it is, and it's something that me and Jason have talked about it, is if you look at PSA or if you're a PSA snob, you want to look at what their set registry is and understanding what their set registry is will tell you what their Hall of Fame card would be. Meaning it's kind of like what hat they wear in the Hall of Fame. But each player has a different one. Sometimes they're the Bowman Chrome, sometimes they're the tops, right? So like Ichiro actually has a different one because I forget what the, it's the SP card because he was, you know, in Japan and he came over. So sometimes you look at these and you're like, I don't know what their rookie card is. So per example is what we were just talking about, Miguel Cabrera. I didn't know I bought his rookie card. It was the Topps rookie card and I should have bought the Topps Chrome traded rookie card. So you have to look at what these guys are when they're in the Hall of Fame and what that PSA set registry would tell you in terms of what their registered rookie card is. But a lot of times it is Bowman Chrome. Mm-hmm. So, so that's his answer from a collecting perspective. From a selling perspective, though, you know, there are people my age that didn't grow up getting Bowman. And so they're looking for the first Topps card. A good, yeah, good example of this at Alex at your brotherly love show, which was a great show as well, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, for especially for a first time show, just jam-packed. What a great show. I sold a, I, I sold a Topps Jimmy Rollins first year card which is a 2001 traded but i still have his bowman chrome graded in my case so it's just a question of who the buyer is if it's somebody my age they're probably leaning towards just buying the tops version i think the modern collector goes after the bowman because bowman's the only one permitted to you know produce minor league cards you could also argue not every player has a bowman but they yeah. mostly all have a tops. So like, like Joe Mauer, I don't know why I just thought of him, but like his tops rookie card has this, you know, you know, it's his card. Like it's like signature pose. It's standing there like that. But like people couldn't even tell you what his Bowman Chrome looks like, for example. And he, I know he's a catcher. He's not the hottest player in the market, but I'm just giving you an example that sometimes they don't even have that. No, in MVP baseball, he always ended up being like the greatest of all time, like catcher. He was on a lot of my teams. Yeah, he had such a great start to his career. So you guys were mentioning yeah. Ichiro a lot. Like that's a guy who I feel like, you know, he's got what two more years until he gets into the hall. I believe he'll be the first Japanese baseball player to get in. I mean, he was the first big star to come over from Japan. Obviously, one day Otani will probably join him unless something horrible happens. But like, I feel like. I mean, what do you think in Jason and Mezzi, you've probably seen this a lot. Like is in baseball, is there really a Hall of Fame spike or is that kind of just like a, a myth? I mean, I, I think I think there are periods where if you are holding cards of players, you should consider unloading them right? The 3,000th hit, Albert Pujols, when he hit a 700th home run, you saw his cards go through the roof, right? The next time Albert will really spike again is when he's inducted first ballot into the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Sadly, the next time after that is when he passes away. So 
you know, um, Alex bought two, uh, two of my Sandy Koufax cards this weekend and he got a great deal on those cards and he's probably going to unload them in, in Burbank. But, you know, I look at Sandy Koufax who's pushing 90 and the sad part about Sandy is while he's an all time great pitcher, his cards will probably double when he passes away. So I think there are periods of time where if it you're was just looking to Aaron. flip cards, yeah, Hank Aaron doubled overnight when he passed away. So, um, yeah, when Ichiro goes in, I'm sure we'll see a spike in his cards. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's a, again, if you're looking to make money in the hobby, that's a good time to understand. I think that answer, I think that answer holds true across the hobby, right? Like Dwayne Wade, for example, in basketball, his prices have been going down since he retired, but he's going to go in the Hall of Fame, right? Like, so we'll see a, a slight rise. I'm not going to say it's astronomical because the NBA's Hall of Fame is different than baseball, but like LeBron is going to surpass Kareem probably tonight, right? We're going to see a rise in his prices. So I, I think that kind of ebbs and flows. The thing it really comes down to baseball is what card do you get? It's not just like a flat line of like all the cards go up. Um, but yeah, Jason collects way more Hall of Famers than I do. And I think that he's in at such a low like area mark that he has gigantic margins that he could either move them, invest in a higher card, like a PSA 7 or 8, whatever, um, because he has those. But yeah, we're seeing either induction into the hall of fame with that row that you were talking about jason that you had at the show or these guys passing away and sadly after that they just kind of maintain the price one thing so i was watching an interview a little while ago it was interesting from rob from uh burbank cards in california they asked him who's the most what player do you get asked about the most what card is easiest to move he said sandy koufax so jason what vintage player are people asking for the most because that shocked me Koufax had a short career he was dominant he was great but like that shocked me to hear that it's Koufax who's 90 years old and like 80 percent of the people who walk into a card show probably couldn't tell you much about Sandy Koufax like what vintage guys are people asking you about sure so so in his defense his car you know his, his shops in Burbank I've been there a few times it's in Burbank Sandy's a great Dodger pitcher. So, you know, it's to say, you know, it's 30 years from now asking about Harper, right? So like, you know, I, I get that. Uh, Sandy also, you know, is Jewish. So he appeals to all Jews everywhere because there's so few the Jews Dodgers in sports. The old. Dodgers are always relevant. Yeah. And Sandy was so dominant before they had Tommy John surgery. And when he blew out his elbow, he's like, yeah, I'm done. And so he retired early, which... It, kind of like Barry Sanders, which gave you the mystique of, wow, if this guy would have played another so many years, he would have had unbelievable numbers. Not that his numbers weren't unbelievable, but just, you know, double them kind of thing. So there's, there's a mystique about Sandy as well. Uh, but to answer your question directly in Philly, I, you know, I get asked a lot about, you know, a lot of old time Phillies, right? So, you know, Ashburn and, and Carlton and Robin Roberts and people like that on a, on a, bigger level though there is definitely a pantheon to the hall of fame where you know hank aaron and willie mays are are in versus somebody you know a lesser hall of famer like a lot of the guys getting in today nobody nobody's asking me about harold baines nobody's asking me about i've never had somebody even ask me for a fred mcgriff card and i have plenty of them you know um so 
you know, there's definitely sort of that that pantheon. Clemente is up there, right? You know, the, the real mantle, of course, who, you know, started it all. I get asked about those kind of players all the time. How about yeah, the one we... example at the show? Somebody, a lot of people were asking about Nolan Ryan, and then the documentary comes up. Yes, mm. yes. So I, and I couldn't tell had they already seen the documentary. A few of them didn't even know there was a documentary. And by the way, everybody, it's on Netflix. It's really interesting. You should watch it. Um, I thought I knew a lot about his career and it was really fascinating to me to watch it. So highly recommend that. Yeah, I feel like that 52 mantle is like the card that people who don't collect vintage are going to ask you. Like the, you know, the 25 year old who's making YouTube videos and has the Zion case with all the prism golds in it. He'll come up to your table and be like, he'll see you a vintage. He'll be like, you have a 52 mantle, PSA 8? Oh, you don't? All right, I I'm good. Next <laughs> <laughs> That's the card that people, like, it's the high piece vintage card, which is really interesting because to me, like, one, like, I feel like a lot of those kids, obviously, this isn't everyone who buys that card. There's some serious people who buy that card. But I feel like the kids who, who are getting into it, like, they couldn't tell you anything about that set. It's just that card carries that cloud. And I feel like that's the only vintage card now. It used to be, I feel like, the Honus Wagner, like, back in the day. Now it's, like, shifted to that 52 mantle. And to me, like, something that I kept mentioning to you at the show, I think, is, like, maybe someone else I talked to like Willie Mays to me him and Mantle they're both great you could argue I don't know how you could say Willie Mays is number two you might not be able to say he's better than Mantle I don't think you can put him behind him in terms of like dominance we and talk I think, about this all the time yeah you know? yeah we because do. I, I think that Mantle is a product of that good Yankees team which had a lot of people who are in the Hall of Fame and yes they were good it was a dynasty there were less teams it was different Mays didn't have that. So you could argue that he's a better player athletically, skill-wise, all that kind of stuff. Plus, Mays, like, you know, I grew up watching Griffey. Now we see Trout. Mays was those guys before. And I talk about documentaries. That's a good one, at least for me. My father didn't really like it. But, um, you know, my father grew up watching Mays, and he was like, oh, you watch Griffey. He's nothing without Mays, right? Bonds, nothing without Mays. So, like, he was the trendsetter of that whole center field athleticism. You know, that's a funny argument because I've made that argument about Michael Jordan. You know, Dr. J brought the NBA above the ring, above the rim and Michael Jordan perfected it. Right. So, but there wouldn't be Jordan above the rim without Dr. J. So I understand what your, your father's argument about Griffey or bonds versus Mays. I, I think Mays was better than Mantle. I hope that's not blasphemous for anybody who's listening here. My reasoning is, is Mantle, you know, Mantle had a disease. He drank, he drank himself silly and he, you know, admitted it in later years and it really cut down his career. Mays played 24 all-star games. Mays was amazing. Five tool, unbelievable off the charts in, in, in every category. Um, his cards, in my opinion, are worth accumulating now. Uh, he's the oldest living Hall of Famer. So we talked about this point earlier. Um, but that's not the reason why. I think his cards are actually very undervalued for how he's viewed. And I think to your point about the Honus Wagner versus Mantle, I think some of this is generational. When Caleb's old like me, <laughs> it'll be, he'll look back fondly on Griffey as well, everyone his age. 
And so as the generations age out in what they collect, I think the more iconic cards become more and more popular. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I like my whole point that I've been making, and I don't know jack about vintage, but like, I feel like Willie Mays is the most underpriced dude like in the hobby right now. Like after comparing him to some of the other dudes that like sell for more than him, like that was crazy to me. But to Delco, I want to get you in here. What was because you have some vintage and some modern. What was the number one most asked about thing at your table? What were people trying to buy at Fishtown? Uh, you know, my, my inventory is a little thin, but I just got a bunch in from a PSA sub and a PWCC order uh, from the vault. But um, but a lot of people asked about my maxis because I got two pretty big maxis right now. So they were kind of just like looking at those. Uh, and yeah, I so I went into the Fish Island show basically trying to grab L.A. stuff. Um, so I knew I was like, you know, let me grab some Kofax from uh from vintage bb cards so i went over to him and asked him about all of his kofax and just found uh a couple that i thought the iapo has been nice and you know honestly just like using my i don't know anything about vintage either i'm just learning as i go but i've honestly found just using my general opinion of like that's a nice copy i want that one uh and like intuition there yeah actually works out pretty well for me to be able to commands like if if a psa3 of a particular vintage card goes for a range of price like and i'm using my intuition trying to and i and trying to grab a card and charge the high end of that um you know that and and but not pay the high end uh, originally i feel like that's kind of worked out in, in my favor um and that, that that that's kind of my strategy is just using that intuition and picking up stuff that um just appeals to me from the different years um so yeah that 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 was kind of uh that i wanted to ask you guys what is your favorite i'm gonna assume it's a baseball uh set but what is your favorite card set uh of all time you know just in general across all you know not maybe it's one card that inspires it as the favorite set um mez we could start with you what, what's your favorite set you mean like uh, like 2011 tops like kind of thing or yeah yeah or, or you know 1957 tops whatever it is um i don't know i always talk to jason about collecting 1956 just because i like the way that looks um some of the vintage kind of throws me off especially if it's not centered well i think it looks kind of crappy um i'm trying to think of a more modern answer because I don't really know that I have one. It's just, I would say my Harper set. Um, I, I really I do. Thought, there's something I about, thought you'd like, say 89 upper deck, especially with, with like, Griffey and that iconic card. And I like that because yeah. it's iconic, but it just seems so like played out or like watered down. I, I mean, I, I do really like 2011, 2012, that design of the card. Um, yeah. And I really oh, yeah. have a, a bias towards like the diamond anniversary kind of stuff. I just think that that like, that was like to me where it still had that old school look before we got into modern. I feel like we got into super modern stuff around like 2016, 2018 when everything became like saturated and crazy. So I, that would probably be my answer. The 2011 diamond, that kind of stuff. Caleb also likes 2008, that uh, Kobe LeBron card and the oh. Phillies won that year and Votto's rookie and I know yeah, you 2008 like, is a good one too because I also like yeah. the Kershaw, the Scherzer. Yeah, the Kershaw. Yes, yeah. awesome. I know. You, I know you like that set. Uh, for me, 
uh, Alex, you're going to, you're going to think this is a Homer pick, but you and I actually talked about this before the 53 Bowman set was the first color photo baseball card. That was an actual photo, not a caricature or a drawing of the player is an amazing set. The Pee Wee Reese is amazing, but my favorite card in that set is the Stan Usual. It was like probably the first real vintage old, old card I ever got uh, set away from it from Kit Young, you know, in a, on a, you know, in a mail order catalog kind of thing. And uh, I held that card for years and years until I upgraded it. Uh, but that, that set for me is, am- is amazing. It was so groundbreaking. And so that one's a, a particularly stands out. Like Caleb's first answer, though, I kind of like horizontal cards. I know they're polarizing and a lot of people don't like them. But I really like horizontal cards. So 55, 56, 60, those are great years. I have to yeah. say 2015 Prism basketball and football which is a totally different answer but i think the photography is awesome i love prism i love the shiny stuff i love the colors i love the serial numbering i you know now last couple years kind of suck just because they have 80 different parallels you got your red ice your pink ice your orange ice your green ice it's annoying it is it's horrible The, the mass production they've just realized that product's popular and they're absolutely banking it they must do you own the lebron of that of that year uh dimes i feel like that you'd be all over the silvers of that year i think if i have i don't think i have any lebron silvers i definitely have some lebron base from that year but yeah lebron stuff it'll be interesting to see what happens these next couple days i think i i don't think it can go up that much just because that team is looking so bad but one thing i did want to make sure we got to i don't know how big football guys you guys are but big game coming up on sunday i want to get some score predictions then after the super bowl we'll take a look see who the closest was so let's hear <laughs> some of these uh super bowl tell me who you think will win what is the final score all right i'll go first all right all right ready i'm ready eagles 41 33 oh it's high scoring okay repeat score there yeah <laughs> oh 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 <laughs> He didn't even pick up on that. <laughs> uh, I actually think the Eagles will win 38 to 24. Okay. Um, I don't think the Chiefs' defense is as good as the 49ers. I think the Eagles will be able to run on them because they run on everyone, and I don't think they have an answer for that. I also don't think uh Mahomes' ankle sprain makes him slightly less mobile and our pass rush is ferocious and has been the last two games if that pass rush shows up we win this game pretty easily in my opinion uh i'll quote mike tyson here everyone has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth and the eagles yes, offense do. yes they do. <laughs> yes they do uh the eagles offensive line punches you in the mouth and we run on, we've run on everybody. There's nothing that makes me think we won't be able to run on the Chiefs. And that's what makes me think the Eagles win 38-24. Hey, uh, yeah, yeah, I can't knock out Eagles now. Uh, I'm going Eagles uh, 31-28. I, I, I agree. I mean, I kind of agree with Jason's take. I think the, I think the run game is what seals it. I think we control the game um, and are just kind of one step ahead. 
Uh, I think Mahomes is incredible, uh, probably the best player in the league, um, and it's not even close. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think the Eagles just kind of the better overall roster right now and just kind of seems like a repeat. I've, I've seen this team before. It you know, usually isn't our team, uh, but I've seen this team of like, you know, the they didn't pay the quarterback yet. A ton of talent across the entire roster. The the offensive line is really deep. The defense is stacked. We could afford to, you know, kind of have depth at every position. And um, it just feels like, uh, yeah, a team I've seen win before, like a Seahawks team um, of re- recent memory. Um, and just like a bunch of examples before of uh, not paying that QB and having the talent across the board. Yeah, I, I think birds are looking great. I'm going bold here. I'm going to go. 37 to 13 Eagles. I agree with Jason. That pass rush is going to be living in the Chiefs' backfield. They're banged up. I think bang, bang, bird, gang. All right. I got two questions. All right. Oh, yeah. Let's hear these trivia. All right. Well, I have a new one because we're talking about the Eagles. All right. 2017, 2018, who won the World Series? Houston. Who won the NBA championship? Golden State. And who won the Super Bowl? Philadelphia. In 22-23, who won the World Series? Houston, sadly. NBA championship? Golden State. State. I'll let you fill in the blank. History repeating itself. Okay, so here's my actual trivia question. Here's the rules. You get one guess. If We get one wrong guess, and then you're out. Okay. Okay. This is really for Danny Dimes. Only three active receivers have more receiving yards than the recently retired A.J. Green. Tell me those three receivers. Julio Jones. Correct. Uh, Julio Jones. And uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Correct. Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, and... Not it can't be. Hmm. You can phone a friend. Um, Mike Evans. That would be incorrect. That was a good guess, though. Yeah, that is a good guess. I don't know who the third one is. I don't even have a good. I was gonna say Keenan Allen. I don't know. Who is it? That's a good oh, guess too. Though. Wait, wait. Do I get a guess? Yeah, my guesses will be funny because I watch football the least out of everybody. I'm going to guess someone like Randall Cobb. <laughs> Not I mean, He's played forever. Or, you know, somebody like that. Larry Deshaun Fitzgerald doesn't Jackson. play anymore, right? Who is it? Deshaun Jackson? Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, that's, that's a weird one. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense, though. That actually makes sense, though. It, ha- it has, a, it has a funny active. end. He's had a good career. I know. He's yeah. barely active. Yeah. That's what's it. what's what's the next big show you guys are doing? I'm setting up at, and it'll be my first time setting up. They messaged me on Instagram, and I was like, you know what? Setting up at shows lately has been awesome. I'll give it a shot. It's next Saturday. It's the Central Jersey Card Show. Never nice. been to it. Never heard of it before they messaged me. But they were like, you want a table? You know what? Sure. It looked like it was packed last time. Can't hurt. 
got my dollar box ready, got things priced out. So going back to the roots, the dimes. I've been going back to the roots. I got time to hunt through some bargain boxes at Fishtown. I haven't Let's done go. a while. I miss being at shows looking through boxes. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm headed out to California tomorrow morning uh, to the Burbank card show. So that'll be cool. Uh, going to check out the card shop for the first time. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I heard it's supposed to be really cool. Like, I think it, there's a lot of buzz. That it's going to be, you know, the West Coast National type of vibe. So uh, excited to see what that's like for sure. I, I could have sworn I saw before they had lines out the door for that show as well. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, A, if you move your the Kofaxes for sure, but also like who else is I, I recall from going into Burbank, um, he had a lot of Kobe a lot of Kobe and a lot of trout. Um, being obviously local LA, that all sort of makes sense to me. I'm just curious when you get back, like who who were people really asking about? Do they care about Maxi out there? I don't know the answer to that, you know. Yeah. I think they will because I think it'll be the general modern kind of crowd. I, I don't know if they'll care about uh, – I, I need them to care about Rui Hachimura because uh, I picked up seven uh, seven Rui Hachimura contenders autos for some reason. Um, the, 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 finance on, the finance on the deal, though, is good. So uh, the economics make sense. Uh, you know, I think I have a good story to – my plan now is to offer them to Burbank directly, actually, just to start, because that's where we're going right off the plane. So uh, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys know next week on the pod uh, how se- trading in seven Rui Hachimura's at Burbank Sports Cards goes. I, but I just thought it would be like, you know, I'm hoping I can get like, you know, uh, I paid. I'll, I'll just be transparent about the lot. We'll see, I'll tell you exactly how it goes. Paid 500 for seven contenders. Uh, they're all uh, optic silvers of Rui Hachimura. Uh, there's like a PSA 10, a 9, uh, an SGC 9.5, a BGS 9.5, any variation of grade you can think of of this card, but there's seven of them. I, you know, I think the value is like, you know, closer to uh, eight to 900, maybe a thousand depending. Um, so I'm hoping that I can get, you know, just like the trade value at Burbank to be like higher than the cash value that I paid, just get some instant equity there. And then, you know, I'll have a little fun, little slush fund uh, at, you know, maybe the greatest card shop in the world. So we'll see how that goes. That's an interesting pickup. PSA 10 Rui contenders optic. I guess it's the contenders optic, right? The silvers. Yeah. They're all optic. They're all silvers. uh, And then two are the variations. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about it. But anyway, it's just like it just made sense from like a you know I, I got it for seventy dollars. Yeah, this is my thinking. I got it for seventy dollars a card. Raw, this card goes for uh, seventy five dollars is the last sale, right? So the worst one is a nine that I have, and then they're all the rest of them. Some of them are nine fives. I got the ten. I got you know BGS nine fives. I mean, you know, if I get any dollars over seventy dollars over the raw that I'm making money. So I just need to convince somebody out there that they're worth a little bit more than the raw uh, and, and I'll be fine. So um, yeah, that's kind of my thinking, but I, 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 uh, I don't, you know, I don't think this is like a really that big of a big brain move, but I try, I think it's kind of funny to just pick up like geographic, like wherever I'm going, 
to a card show. Like I'll just pick up like whoever that player is, you know, Trey Young in Atlanta, uh, you know, LA card, bring LA cards to LA. Um, it's it it it, it kind of works out in the end, no matter what. And you know, it just kind of uh gives a purpose to collecting and just kind of makes it fun to to kind of obsess about somebody. I even like on PWCC this Sunday, I picked up like more Kofax that I'm never going to get for Burbank, but I just like, now I'm in this like Kofax thing, uh, like, you know, a spiral where like I get obsessed with Sandy Kofax, but uh, 1964 tops is like a beautiful card uh, where, you know, it's kind of that classic uh, top sixties look. So um, anyway, uh, I've been really nerding out on this bit, this vintage baseball. So it's been a, uh, awesome having you guys on and, and hearing more about your perspective on uh, the hobby and cards. And uh, we, I think we need to have guests on. I think it's been fun to have guests and Hold on, uh, try to have more some more. Are, you more got thing. more, Doms. Go ahead. I need to make sure I get to it because I really wanted to. I suck at prospecting. Not my thing. Mezzi told me something I did not know at the show. I had no idea that you were on a podcast. So Mezzi, inform the people because I didn't know. So I'm assuming most people. Oh, yeah, yeah. My bad, my bad. Um, so I have my own podcast called Beyond Baseball. It's through Prospects Live. So Prospects Live is a really good foundational following base, you know, whether it's on YouTube or Twitter or whatever. Um, so we actually go or powered by Prospects Live, but we really look into the human side of baseball players. So we talk to guys who are active players. Uh, retired guys going through that transition from playing to whatever they're going to do next. And then we have shorts every other week with me, like mainly prospects. So it'll be a guy who's, you know, in double A or kind of in limbo between triple A and major leagues. I would say lesser known guys, but um, our podcast is picking up and we're about to book a really big guest, but I just can't announce it yet. Uh, but it's been really fun. We release those big podcasts every other week and we do the shorts in between them. So there's that. And then I thought we were going to pick some prospects to look into um, as well. Um, I will say, I mean, we talked about Bowman Chrome a little bit, but I don't do as much prospecting as I used to. I think a lot of it is it makes it stressful and you have to kind of be on the on the the go with like oh, i want to flip this guy or i want to see where he's going you have to like look at the prices all the time i would say it's more like how you guys deal with basketball right like just the the you know up and down of that swing but when i look at prospects i don't like to look at the guys who everybody's chasing like i know who everybody's chasing i know who the top guys are it's kind of obvious when people release their rankings but i have two guys who i think are good um by low can candidates they're still good players everybody knows who they are but these are guys who i can see they have room for improvement and room to grow in terms of the prices um plus they're in big markets they actually both happen the guys i have both happen to be with chicago teams so wow. that's a good market. so pete crow armstrong um is a guy i'm very interested in sadly he has a, a mets jersey in his bowman chrome because great name too right collectible name Yes, and his mother, if I'm correct, I might not be. His mother was the mom in Little Big League, I think. Might be wrong, which oh, is a great, a great fact. Um, so P. Crow Armstrong, I think, is going to be like one of those people who is like an everyday center fielder. I think the Cubs will eventually be good, not like this year, but like they're going to build towards it. And I could see him being – I have a weird comp. I'm saying this more I'm like his – centerpiece of that team but like a Grady Sizemore kind of guy I'm not saying he's going to be exactly like him I just think that he has a good hit tool 
he's going to be like the staple of that team. Um, and I could see him as a center fielder every day. The other guy is Colson Montgomery with the White Sox. Um, he's six foot four. I don't know if he sticks at shortstop because that's very hard to do unless you're Corey Seager or Cal Ripken. Um, but Colson can rake. The White Sox are good. They could easily move him if they like move him position wise to get him up here quicker. But those are two guys. And like on Keith Laws, like they're ranked like 25 and 26. So like everybody looks at Keith Laws like top 10. Let's let's go invest in those guys. But everybody chases those guys. So you're competing with everybody on the same prices. I think these are guys who could be top five prospects by the end of the year. And then I have two other guys for major league rosters. I was actually texting Jason. Um, just two guys that I feel like have the makeup and build of what we look for when we invest in modern day baseball players, but nobody is like really talking about these guys. One is one who killed the Phillies in the world series, Jordan Alvarez. I don't understand how he is so low priced. He's on the Astros. He's massive. He hits home runs. He will be in the top five or 10 in his league in home run totals and people don't collect him. Like it just doesn't make sense. Um, so I, he's a guy who I think people should buy looks. I think he's just going to go nuts and he's going to be good for a really long time. Who's his comp, Caleb? Who's his comp in your opinion? Well, I've always said it's Carlos Delgado, which I don't even know if these guys know who that is. Yeah, of, yeah. yeah know the big cat. Yeah, they don't know Charles Skinny. I thought the big cat was Andres Galarraga. <laughs> Whatever. Send your Delgado was a cat. All right, who's, who's your other one? Because I want to give an answer to this question. My other one is Jazz Chisholm because he's on the cover of the show. There's nobody who has more swag than him. He's moving to center field if he smells at all like Griffey. And I, I don't think the Marlins are going to be good. I just think that the, the passive baseball fan, like a, I'm not making fun of you, Danny, but like someone like you who's like, I just want to watch it for the fun, would like a Jazz Chisholm. Like, I do like He's exciting. He he has the look. He does the Euro hop. Like when he like tries to hit a home run. Like, and if he's gonna play center field, like it's just me. It's just made for collecting cards. Who's his comp? I mean, do you know what originally I said his comp was to you? Francisco mm-hmm. Lindor. That was my original one. Now I wonder if he. I don't even know. I, w- I want to say like a center fielder, but I really do think he's, he has Lindor tools and stats. Um, he just, he's got, he's good. He's going to bulk up. He's going to get more pop. So it, it could be a little, I don't I'll say Griffey light. Cause that's not even fair to have them in the same conversation. Jason, so, who do you like as yeah. some prospects? and current Yeah. Guys? So prospecting to me is more of who's playing now that's probably going to go to the hall of fame. That's probably undergraded. So with Roland getting in, Arenado has to top the list of somebody where I look at him and I go slam dunk hall of famer for sure. He's had a better career than Scott Roland, in my opinion, already. He still has more to come. And I think the Cardinals are going to be pretty good for the next few years. He just needs one world series or an MVP. One of those things and I think he stamps his ticket. Goldschmidt's another one, just won an MVP. You're going to look back at his career, and it's going to be very Larry Walker-ish in the sense of power, speed, average. And people are going to go, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer kind of thing. So, again, for me, I'm looking at current players that are going to be in in the future. Those two really, really jump out at me. Um, you know, there's some slam dunk pitchers. 
but there's one pitcher that nobody talks about. So the slam dunk pitchers being Verlander, Kershaw, Scherzer, they're all in. DeGrom's on the trajectory if he can stay healthy, but he's risky. But the guy nobody talks about who has a massive war as a pitcher is Zach Grinke. And as funny as it sounds, you know, he's won a Cy Young award. He's been on winning teams. He's been a really, really good pitcher who will benefit from longevity. He might be another one, I think, that's currently undervalued that should go to the Hall of Fame. I just want to say one thing about him. So he's a very good example of what Alex was asking about the Bowman Chrome. Because even though I think you have his tops card now, his tops card sucks. It has Jimmy Gobble on it, which is the Thanksgiving Day pitch, pitcher of the world. But it's a horrible tops card. It's horrible. His Bowman Chrome, and I actually saw a Bowman Chrome refractor of Grinky for like $8,000 on Facebook today. It was a 10. Wow. Wow. I've never seen that before. But his Bowman Chrome is like, you have to have that card because his tops is so bad. So it kind of goes to what Alex was asking earlier. Yeah, Granky's an interesting one. I remember when that he's dude definitely Hall of Famer. We oh yeah, he's got the strikeouts and all. I remember when he broke out for the Royals, he was untouchable. Nobody could hit his stuff for like a couple years there. And his strikeout rate was was great. I mean, that those are some great ones. I think it's he was also one of the first athletes to ever say he had a mental health issue before anybody said it. He yep. said it. And nobody that. ever credits him for that because he doesn't want to be in the spotlight. Yeah. Him and Kevin Love. I, I remember Kevin Love. He was way that. before Kevin Love. That's my point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, but, is, who? Adam Wainwright. He's on the border like Grinky. I never, I didn't even think about that because he's, he's not still in pitching, right? There's no way he is. Yep. He's back. He's back for another year. You know, uh, Caleb brought up Joe Maurer earlier, another guy who's the the hobby sort of forgotten about him. Three batting titles as a catcher, only one to ever do that. I think Maurer actually gets in easier than you guys probably think. Um, I think the hardest thing against him is you have guys like Posey and Molina. They're sort of the three catchers in this sort of era to get in to the Hall of Fame for sure in a position where there really isn't a lot of Hall of Famers. The reason Arenado was number one on my list is there's not a lot of third basemen, mm-hmm. which I think helped Roland's case, plus his defense. But when you look today, Arenado is clearly the number one defensive third baseman, and his bat is amazing. So It'll be Beltre, then Arenado probably, when he, and then it'll probably be Machado. Machado, be- yeah. Bullshit. I think Goldschmidt gets in. If We're talking third baseman only. Right, right. Right now. But yeah, I think Goldschmidt gets in. It's very. Sure. I, I texted this to Jason, but it's very rare when someone gets in the Hall of Fame and they cite your achievement. So they say, like, he's had this many gold gloves. Only three guys have more than him. And one of those guys is still an active player in his prime. Like, that's bizarre. Yeah. Like, like Schmidt, Robinson, Arenado. And Roland gets in. Arenado's in his prime. Yeah, I think Arenado has to get in then. I was shocked, honestly, when I saw Scott Rowland get in. I don't know how you guys felt, but I was like, whoa. Like, that didn't even occur as a possibility. <laughs> yeah, there, there are two people that – there are two schools of thought on the Hall of Fame. There's the – some people like a smaller, less inclusive, only the Pantheon guys. And those people think, ah, Rowland's in the Hall of Very Good or something to that effect. And I have a lot of friends that are like that. And then there's others that are like, no, they want a more inclusive, bigger Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, it's debatable, but he was a very good player for a long time. So 
Yeah, you know, my, I'm, I'm happy for him. My thought process was you look at his numbers, you look at his baseball reference, and you're like, I don't know, it's borderline. And then you think, and this is what I didn't do. And then I was like, you know what? He's a third baseman. And you have to consider the third baseman that are in there, the thresholds where he ranks amongst the third baseman, and that gets him in. But I will be the first to say that his career is very NBA Hall of Fame-like, meaning he played for a really long time. He was never the best, never led the league in anything, great numbers, borderline all-star every year, like a Vince Carter kind of. And I love Vince Carter. But, like, is that why he got in? No, I think it's more because he was a third baseman. He was a very good third baseman for a long time. Yeah, I I guess it's good to see, especially for the Philly sports world. But this has been awesome. Thank you guys for coming on. You guys are our first set of guests. I I had a great time. I think it it went really well. Thank you guys for coming on. Hope to have you on soon. We're signing off. See you next time. Yes, thank you.